By the way, hey, I thought of a name. If me and you did a catechism cat podcast, you know, with uh, for kids, we could call it the Catacast. The Catacast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> I get so excited about it. Catacast. How do you spell it? Is there an e in there? Nerd. Or do you do all Cata, And we could call it cast. cast. The Catacast. Because usually, because usually, because you would somebody who teaches do all A's. Cat- get rid of the E and do all A's. Somebody who, ca- who somebody who teaches catechism is called a catechist. Yeah. So this would be a catechist. <laughs> what about catechist? Yeah, it's a podcast. Crash. <laughs> <laughs> the reason faith is such an important topic in a relationship so deep as marriage is because really what you're talking about faith is you're talking about who is this person's authority Mm. who or what does this person see as authoritative in their life and that's really what you're driving at you're trying to figure out um, what does this person or who does this person allow to define what is really real Hello there, this is Pastors of the Roundtable. We're so glad that you've decided to join us today on our weekly discussion. Um, Pastors of the Roundtable, of course, is the discipleship podcast of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, and it's brought to you by Together in Christ, the teaching ministry of MMBC in Monroe, Michigan. Our goal together is to encourage thoughtful discussion about the Christian faith and to connect you to the people and the ministries of MMBC. Um, sitting around the table with me today, as usual, are our usual cast of characters. Uh, Tim Michelangeli, lead pastor here at MMBC. Matt Bates, music and media pastor here at the church. Uh, Scott Slater, family pastor. And my name is Spencer Snow. I'm the discipleship pastor here at uh, the church. Um, today, we want to begin a, a new series. Um, so we're going to continue the Screw Tape Letter series on and off throughout, um, but we're also going to integrate into that uh, as well a new series on uh, marriage and family life. Um, and Pastor Scott, our family pastor, is going to lead the discussion here today. So um, let's kick it over to him and he can kind of uh, introduce the topic to us and uh, and lead our discussion. Scott? Yeah, I mean, Spencer, what you said there is we want to try to do something a little different uh, than what we've been doing. We're going to continue the series through the screw tape letters, and we do those series uh, and those episodes where we just ask general questions. But some of the questions we got and some of the things that we've heard as we've spoken to people is what about like marriage and family? Uh, oftentimes we'll get questions from parents uh, with uh, issues that they're having with their kids or, hey, how should we think about this? What do we do in this situation? But also we know that many of our families uh, experience trouble Mm. and hardship, and uh, they would do well to have uh, some biblical instruction at times. And so as we were thinking about how to best do this, it's really tough because there's like a million and one different scenarios and problems that a married couple or that a family could experience. And so trying to just tackle all of the different troublesome scenarios we can think of, uh, would it would be a f- ongoing forever long mm-hmm. podcast, and we would maybe never get to the problem that this married couple is facing. Mm-hmm. And so today we're thinking specifically of marriage, uh, not with kids. We'll do some kids episodes later. But as we're thinking through this, what would be the most helpful way to provide some episodes that would maybe help married couples that need the help or prepare them for the trouble that might come their way? And uh, as pastors, one of the things that we have the privilege of doing, uh, some of us, and 
throughout our years of pastoring is counseling couples through premarital counseling when they're about to get married. Different pastors do different things, uh, but usually there's two, three, four, five meetings with a married couple where you would talk about various issues. And the reason you talk about <clears throat> a few specific issues is because it really covers a lot of the the potential conflicts that would happen in a marriage to try to prepare that couple for what they might uh, deal with. And so some of those topics, not saying we're going to talk about all these, but we will talk about most of them probably in these episodes to come, are uh, the big the big picture items of faith, money, sex, kids, the family, and not just uh, your family, but talking about in-laws and extended family there, and also the idea of communication. Um, these are the big items that a lot of married couples have trouble with, especially when they're first uh, married. The one we're going to talk about today is faith, and that's always first because it's kind of like the overarching topic that will influence all of these other topics. Um, you might say this, that what it's the most important because what you believe is going to impact uh, your actions, your expectations, the goals that you have related to every aspect of your life and especially of your marriage. And so the question I want to ask you guys first is this, is that an overstatement to think that what a married couple believes is really that big of a deal? No, it's not an overstatement. I think a lot of people just don't answer the question though. And so they would say maybe it's an overstatement, but we would say and not answering the question about faith, you are answering it in a way you know just like if i were to say from the pulpit you know if you leave here and make no decision today in christ no you've made a decision you know what i mean like you you didn't accept him and so then you're not part of him you're not part of his family it's the same way i would say with marriages even people who don't address the faith topic just kind of brush it under the table they they've answered it that then it's just not that important mm-hmm. to them. And it is going to have an impact. They will see down the road that either they'll just join together and not having faith in God at all, and it's just going to be totally separate in their life, or there's going to be a battle between the two because they're not on the same page, and it'll bring problems up in their marriage down the road for sure. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't think it's an overstatement. Yeah, I think you kind of alluded to something that we can see in this is that they won't think it's important. Another thing, though, is sometimes I think what people think is that it's assumed. Yeah. They assume that they are on the same mm. page about faith. Mm. That's one of the most helpful things in a, a an idea of premarital counseling situation is that you try to bring up topics that they are maybe assuming and think about that, like, oh, yeah, I mean, this is just, this is the right thing to do in this situation. This mm. is the right thing to think about this. But if you actually ha- are forced to sit down and talk about what is the right way to use money? What is the right, you know, practice for our family as it regards faith? That's where simply assuming things is very, very dangerous mm-hmm. uh, to a marriage because once you're in the heat of it, if you haven't actually already talked through it, thought through it, uh, then that's when you can get into trouble. But you can't talk about everything in a premarital counseling session. Yeah. I've seen that too, having couples coming to think you are going to make their marriage perfect Mm -hmm. because of what you talk about, like really eager to hear. And you can't go through all the scenarios. You can't go through all of the things that might be facing. But that's why I don't think what you said was an overstatement because if if you can establish your faith together, and so for us we would say if, if husband and wife or future husband and wife would say, 
God's word is central in our life, and we believe this, and we use this to guide our life, and our faith in Christ is very important to us. Yeah. That's a big thing because that then will hit on every problem, even if we don't talk about mm-hmm. it in this yep. in these sessions. You have something to go to that will impact the decision. You know, should we get a dog? Maybe we don't talk about that. Mm-hmm. I don't want. One. Let's go to the Bible and see what it says. Well, yeah. Okay, that's <laughs> I really hope there. my wife talks to me before she goes into <laughs> the dog. But it could then come down to. Are you sacrificing for your wife like you should? Are you loving her like you should? Are you submitting to your husband like you should? Like that that discussion could come into mm-hmm. the dog scenario mm-hmm. that you know that you're talking about down the road or whatever. So there's that's why this is important that we're hitting on faith is because it will fill in a lot of the blanks that you don't get to talk about in a premarital counseling session. Yeah. I guess before we go any further, maybe a question that people are wondering um, that we need to think about is why would we as pastors even presume to counsel a married couple? What, what would give us the right to speak into a married couple's relationship in this regard? Because I think a lot of people think <laughs> yeah. that, you know, this is, this is my family, pastor. This is my marriage, pastor. You do your thing with the church. This is me and my family. Oh, okay. Why don't, why would we even presume to want to give some kind of advice or instruction to families about their family? Well, I think first and foremost, me and Spencer have talked about this to a pretty good extent, I feel like, in my office at a time. Marriage isn't like a, a sacrament. It's not an ordinance that the church performs and does. We have Lord's Supper, and we have baptism, and we have preaching of the Word. That's what we do. We, we have worship together. It's not stated anywhere in Scripture you need to be married in the church. It's not stated in Scripture in order for you to get married, the pastor needs to do the wedding. And I think people are surprised by that sometimes. Like, you can go to the courthouse and get married. It's going to cost you however much a marriage license is. I don't know. I haven't got one in a long time. You know? Um, (laughs) That's good. That's good. Yeah. (laughs) And literally, you need a couple witnesses. You sign that paper, and it's it's done. Mm -hmm. Like, you're married. You don't need me in this. But this goes into a bigger discussion of church membership, being a part of a church, submitting under the authority of pastor of elders or pastors within your local congregation. And then, you know, one of the jobs that we have as pastors and elders is to love the flock well. And sometimes that means they come and seek, you know, help and you know, what is God's word saying here? How can you better help me? And we should have a desire to help in those areas, you know, just like teaching kids scripture and things like this, but teaching couples <laughs> what it means to be faithful Christians in your marriage and in your relationship. And so when a couple allows us into that, uh, that's not something I think we should take for granted or take lightly either, but be willing to speak into that and to do it well, I would say. But again, not to treat it like an ordinance, right? which sometimes it maybe goes there. Sure, and I think too, as pastors, um, our job, we are uh, representatives. And so like, we're bound by only what the Bible says. So like, there may be other things that like, I would say for myself personally in my marriage, because I know I can apply it specifically to my marriage with my wife. Yeah. 
But as pastors, we have to walk that line of making sure that I can't apply every single text to your life for you. Sure. I can only say this is what the Bible says on big issues, and you're going to have to do some thinking now. Mm -hmm. So I think that's also important for pastors to remember that um, we're only authorized to speak what the Bible says. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that's what Jesus has given us, that authority by through the church, right? The, to speak only. Ours is a ministerial authority, so it's only to speak what the Bible says. I'm only here to apply that to you. And insofar as that's general, it's general. Insofar as it's specific, it's specific. But it's always based off the scriptures. And after that, then we have to leave it to people to apply that. Um, within their own marriages, and uh, and and we we deal with the things like that. So I just think it's important to to remember that we are restricted as well mm-hmm. to the text of Scripture mm-hmm. and to what the Bible teaches. Um, whenever we're we're counseling or speaking with people in that capacity as pastors, yeah, yeah. And I I do want to put a caveat in here that it might be good that my wife don't listen to these because I feel like I'm going to be judged. <laughs> As we talk about marriage and we talk about these things. Oh, I've already been doing that, yeah. You've been judging me? Yeah. We're not yeah. married. So we don't even do this <laughs> I'm just saying, we're, if we're going to talk about like some principles of marriage, and then I go home, my wife's like, you haven't done that in five years. I don't oh, know why man. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I really yeah. feel a you weight. You done that in five years. I really feel a weight here. Right. Yeah. Well, don't say too much. Though. So I'm not going to you know, put the bar too high. Yeah. That's, my That's goal. good. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Series. I need it low, too. I need it low, too. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that, that that's, that's the challenge of the preacher. Like we, we have the scriptures, like Spencer said. I mean, Tim, I'm sure you feel like that every Sunday yeah, when you get up to preach, right? It, well, you but know, that I've doesn't had, mean yeah. we don't say what is true. Sure. I've had young men, you know, come to me feeling called to preach or to teach, but then their struggle is, I'm sitting here teaching on this and I struggle with this. I don't feel like I'm qualified to teach. And it's like, well, then none of us are qualified. Right. Yeah. yeah. You are a, you're a sinner. <laughs> yeah. That's what that's called. <laughs> yeah. 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 Spencer, what you said about us being limited to what the Bible says is so true. But it is also, I think, what gives us the permission and the mandate to speak into what marriage mm-hmm. is and to issues around marriage is but the the answer to the question in my mind is what authorizes us and why would we presume to speak into a marriage relationship it's because the bible has something to say about right. marriage and yeah. there's a lot of couples i have found through doing any amount of premarital counseling or general counseling or even general conversations with people they're largely ignorant of what the bible says about marriage mm. and i think just a rudimentary understanding of what the Bible has to say about marriage would really help a lot of people hmm. uh, as they're dealing with issues or just trying to have a good, long, happy, God-glorifying marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there might not be an issue to tackle. It's just a way to understand of how we're to live. The idea that faith is the big, important topic of the day, uh, I think most married couples would probably agree that that faith is important. Mm. Do you guys think that's true? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but what I've seen is that there are different levels at which they really dive into the question of faith. Uh, we could think of the surface level idea of is faith important? And the surface level is uh, I believe in a higher power. I believe that there is a God. Do, mm. do you believe there's a God, you know, future spouse? Yes, I believe there's a Okay, good. We're fine. We're on the same page here. Uh, some people stop there. Most people don't. 
most people recognize that the, the lower level of depth, kind of like a shallow level of depth would be to ask, well, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, okay, great. I'm a Christian too. We are on the same page when it comes to our faith. Mm-hmm. We're good. We're fine. But that that's showing a little ignorance then about what place should faith have in a marriage relationship. And so, I mean, if you stop at that shallow level, there's a couple of things to consider. Um, you need to try to define what do you mean by Christian? Because you ask a person, are you a Christian? They could say yes. But what is going on in their mind of what is a Christian might be different than what you're thinking. So you could say, yeah, I'm a Christian. You're a Roman Catholic. The other person is a Protestant. There's some pretty major differences between Roman Catholics and Protestants about what they believe about pretty much everything, about the Bible, about salvation, about how to raise kids properly, about Mm -hmm. things like that. That speaks into it. Another issue is you might say, yes, I'm a Christian, but uh, you need to actually define some things, work through some things. Is church membership going to be and church attendance going to be important Mm. for our family, or are you the kind of Christian that thinks that – simply having a personal faith is what's important and you don't really have to go to church so if two married people get married with with those conflicting ideas that's going to lead to some issues can mm. you guys think of any other issues that might come up if you don't actually define what you mean by i am a christian i think one of the things that came to me um this is maybe packing it up a little bit behind what you're saying here but is um it is amazing sometimes um how people can assume these things and they've never actually talked about them. Um, and I think one of the questions that would be really good to ask people right away too is, is are you guys even, how often do you even talk about these topics? Mm-hmm. Because that's going to show me how important it is. And it's also going to maybe show what hidden assumptions are on both sides mm-hmm. about this issue. Um, I think uh, that's going to be one of the questions that would be really helpful to know is, are you guys actually talking about this often? Or is this something you've just totally assumed about the other person? And that, the question then is, is how important is it to either of you even then? Mm-hmm. If you're not even talking about, if you don't even know these issues are underlying. Mm-hmm. Um, I have uh, concerns then about if, if, because if you're not going through life with your wife as your uh, spiritual companion as well, because that's what she's going to be or he's going to be to you. Um, you're going to need that. And it's going to impact everything. The way It's going gonna, it's gonna to be the lens through which you interpret the whole world. And you're going to be wearing different glasses with different prescriptions, mm-hmm. you know, in, in a sense, as you look at the world. Mm-hmm. So you're going to interpret everything differently, or you could be. And that's why I think it's so important is uh, um, to ask that. Are you even talking about these things? Um, because uh, I think, I, I'll speak for myself, that's one of the things I think was, was wonderful about uh, whenever I was dating my wife and getting to know her is our, we started automatically talking about Bible stuff mm-hmm. and theology stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't, um, you know, we were, we were learning together. We were, we were talking about these things, our differences initially, and uh, talking through those things. That was actually a big part of our initial relationship. And I praise God for that, not because our relationship was perfect, because it was actually far from it. And there was some um, you know, it, we're not, we weren't um, ideal, 
But at the same time, I am thankful for that aspect, that, that, that at least the topic was being discussed. And is, the, is your relationship a, a place where religion is being talked about? Mm. If it's not, then, then there's something huge missing. There's a vacuum there. Yeah. The, the example I think about with what you're talking about, Spencer, is we assume it. It's almost like if you're on a, uh, even a Christian dating yeah. uh, or any kind of dating online thing like that. And like one of the first things that I think a lot of Christian people find important is like, oh, I need to know what faith they are. I need to know what religion they are. Right. Oh, it says they're a Christian on their profile. Great. I know they're a good right, match for me right, as it regards faith. Right. And as you try to get to know them, you talk to them, do you actually ask them questions about right. what they believe? Like if right. you're in the midst of a dating relationship, those are some of the primary things you should be talking about right. and asking. Um, because you talked about it as if it's the lenses through which you view the world. The reason faith is such an important topic in a relationship so deep as marriage is because really what you're talking about faith is you're talking about who is this person's authority Mm. who or what does this person see as authoritative in their life and that's really what you're driving at you're trying to figure out um what does this person or who does this person allow to define what is really real and then also who gets to set the expectations in life uh, you know, if, if you're about to marry this girl, you need to know who is she going to to set the expectations about what your marriage is mm-hmm. going to be like? Who are you going to to set the expectations of what your marriage is going to be like? Mm-hmm. And if you are looking at two different authorities to define reality and to set expectations, that's where this is really going to diverge, which is why faith is so important. Mm. And so we have to go at a deeper level. You need to start asking questions regarding your faith that are not just asking, are you a Christian, but defining what we mean by that. Um, there is a book that I found helpful with couples. Uh, it's uh, by a guy named John Piper, that the first question that you ask one another is, what do you believe about everything? Literally everything. Uh, some a practice that he finds helpful is like if you're if you would just sit down and walk through a statement of faith together or uh, a confession of faith and just walk through it and ask do you believe this mm. what do you think about this have you mm. ever thought about that that's something to do mm. um, but what I want to do now is us actually open the Bible because we said the Bible has something to say about it I want us to open the Bible and to to look at some of these things primarily three things number one. Where did marriage come from? Number two, what is the purpose of marriage? And three, what is the order of marriage? Does God have something to say about the order of marriage? And so when we're asking the question, where does marriage come from? Uh, where can we go, guys? What, where can we find in Scripture what the origin of marriage is? Genesis. Genesis. Do you want more answers than that? Huh? Yeah. Do you want more answers than that? Sure, I do. Ugh. Specifically, where can we go? What is the genesis of marriage? Wow, slick. I mean, <laughs> what is it? His, uh, you will leave your mother and father, and yeah, made in the image of God. Leave to your wife, and you'll yeah, be I mean, flesh. We, yeah. So Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall. We should point out, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, right. That God gave to Adam Eve. And that it was a good thing. And like Matt just said, leave your father and mother and cleave unto your wife. And it shows this. It's interesting because at that point, what is father and mother? 
<laughs> like mm-hmm. God's already kind of pointing out some things that are mm-hmm. going to be happening. Um, but yeah, this, the two shall become one flesh talked about. And again, this is all before sin. This is in the perfection of the garden and walking with God in the evening. And mm-hmm. so we see this beautiful picture of a man and a woman coming together uh, as one uh, before before God and, and covenant together to be with each other. Uh, and so, I mean, that's the beginning of it mm-hmm. that, we, that we see there in Genesis chapter 1, it starts. Yeah. The idea that marriage is actually part of the six-day creation account in Genesis at the very beginning when it says in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 28, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and on and on and on. It says he created them male and female. He brought these two together. We There's an elaboration on that in chapter 2, and you, you guys were referencing that. Uh, when he gets to verse 18 there, it says the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And he goes on to create Eve from the rib of Adam. God brings Eve to Adam. And uh, you hear a lot of people say that this was kind of the first marriage ceremony ever conducted where God presents Eve to Adam. Adam names Eve and he says this in verse 23. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then you have, uh, if you want to think about this, verse chapter 2, verse 24 is maybe a very simple definition of what marriage is. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And then it says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The idea that a man and a woman will leave their families to come together to create one new family. That's a very simple definition of marriage. And so you guys pointed out several things that were helpful there. The idea that God created marriage. It was his idea. If it's his idea, he gets to set the parameters Mm -hmm. of what marriage is. And so what are some of those parameters that we would see marriage is, even just in these verses? Man and a woman. A man and a woman. One of each. Yeah, one of each. Because, yeah. I mean, really soon in Scripture, you see that pushed aside mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. one man and multiple. Lamech. Yeah, multiple mm-hmm. women. I mean, it happens quick. Yeah. No, we see one man and one woman. Yeah. <clears throat> we also see already, I mean, I guess hasn't been said, specific, but it, hold fast to his wife, they shall become one flesh. We see this union that shouldn't be separated, mm-hmm. right? Because they become one flesh. So it it seems from this passage that it's for your for your lifetime. Yeah, the, I mean, the language of one flesh, I mean, yeah. you can't get closer than becoming part of the other person. So the idea of tearing that mm-hmm. apart is very foreign. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's not supposed to happen. So we also see that marriage was given for... You know, Adam was alone, and now he's not alone. So you see this aspect that becomes important, but you also see it says to multiply. So you see this purpose of marriage is to have children, mm. to to multiply on the earth. And so there's quite a few things in there already mm-hmm. that God has established for us. Mm. 
um, in the first two chapters. Yeah. Tim, you had asked a question before we actually started the podcast about what verse 18 mm-hmm. is referring to when it says it is not good that man should be alone. Yeah, I what just think that's important because I've heard people use that verse to say you must get married because mm-hmm. it's not good for you to be alone. Mm-hmm. So then you have to get married, but yet we see Paul talk about the gift of being single. We see people in Scripture being single. Jesus. Jesus himself was fully was, human, yet yeah, single, and was not was sinful. single. And so would you say then Jesus wasn't, you know, perfectly human because he never got to experience no we can't we can't say that because he was perfect in his humanity and in his deity so i just think that we need to know what that what that means it's not good for man to be alone or even you know i've heard people couples get divorced and i've heard them use this verse to justify getting remarried when maybe remarriage shouldn't be justified like Mm. the reason you're divorced isn't good yeah you know i don't think it's god honoring and i don't think you getting married to somebody else is going to be god honoring yeah but it's not good for me to be alone says that Mm. okay like how do you combat that how do you that's why i just think it might be good to know what that verse is talking about and mean Mm -hmm. Anybody. <laughs> Anybody. Yeah, I agree. I would, I would definitely um, want to do more study on that verse. Um, because there is a sense in which uh, I think uh, I think in this verse, the primary focus, obviously, is the first man and talking about his relationship with his wife. Um, so within the context of marriage. And so... But we shouldn't want to broaden that to the uh, to say that, um, like you said, that people who are single and who are called to that, like we said, Jesus was single. Um, it, it seems that Paul was single in the New Testament. So there is definitely a place for people who never get married mm-hmm. in the church, and they have a holy calling, and they are they're not they are not less than or inadequate in any way by being single. Um, Actually, Paul says there can be some great benefits to the church for that. So we don't want to say that as well. Um, This was given for a very specific purpose. And in highlighting the the goodness of marriage, we're not denigrating the goodness of being single today, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that that's just just important. I think it can also have something to do... MacArthur kind of puts this out in his study Bible a little bit, but the idea of the need of two genders, like that man's mm-hmm. not alone, not just man, right. but seeing then that woman has come as a suitable helper in this world just for everything. That's if you right. look at the differences right. between men and women, and a lot of people are trying to push those differences aside right now, mm-hmm. and but I don't think that's a good biblical thing to do. There's a reason we were made man and woman, right? And I think this is part of as part of that is this what God says. It's not good for the man just to be alone, mm-hmm. just for man to run around like this. I think there's implications definitely of marriage and companionship and that. Right. But there's also I think some implications with with gender, right? Just being human, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just being human. It's a good thing He created the human race, mm-hmm. male and female, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And there's some good things that come from mm-hmm. from just that as well. Could yeah. we say that there's even a broader principle here? Because I mean. So at the time when God said that, it was literally only Adam. Right. So, yeah, it's not good for Adam to be alone because he's the only human. 
Right. So take that broadly to the church. Like a Christian can't survive on his own, so he needs the fellowship of other believers around mm-hmm. him. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think that allows that thought allows for the person that stays single the rest of their life because they uh, they do have a certain fellowship and companion with their mm-hmm. family broad family the children right. of god right and their congregation with the help of their mm-hmm. congregation i think they have through that relationship they have accountability right they have support um they have friendship and you know just sure. general companionship things sure. so sure not to for lack of better terms divorce the it's not good for man to be alone from the marriage thing but i think there is a broader principle there that kind of mm. speaks to mm. Man really is not good alone, right? even outside of marriage. Yeah. I think it'd be really hard to argue that there's only one idea wrapped up in the phrase, it's not good for man to be alone. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's obviously multiple elements that are there, but it's interesting that what happens right after God says that is that he basically parades all of the created animal kingdom in front of Adam. Adam names them, and it says (laughs) there was not a helper found fit for him. Mm -hmm. And so God had to make one. You know, and woman was is the perfect helper right. for man. Right. Um, but I mean, yeah, there's there's all kinds of things that are laid out here, and how God defines a marriage relationship between man and woman, mm. and that we see here, gender is as much as our culture would say, gender is in fact binary. Right. There is one gender. Right. Um, you know, there there is a def- definition of marriage that we go for yeah. that isn't just for Christians. You know, this is part of the created order. So the idea that we would expect even non-Christians to marry in this way is justified in the sense that this, this, you know, God created marriage. He's the one that gets to define it and set the parameters for it. So you guys said that in the beginning of the episode, you guys were saying that marriage is not an ordinance or sacrament, a sacrament. So I guess what would, what would be, what would... (laughs) It, what's the category of marriage? Because God did give it to us. Yeah, it's a creation thing. We usually, I mean, you know, it's it's part of creation. It's not part of redemption. I think it's a common grace okay. thing too, right? right? Okay. I mean, yeah. It's a yeah. good it's, it's thing that the, he's given to. Yeah. yeah, it's part of the covenant of creation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a yeah. gift. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. All right. And one more thing I want to point out here too, and I think, I mean, you may be going to get here, but the, the word helper is important. And I think I've heard that the term can actually, because sometimes what it can be interpreted as is, is as the everything's about the man and the woman just comes along as like his secretary <laughs> and comes along. And I don't think that's the original idea. Mm-mm. She's a helper. And I think the idea the word can actually be used as ally. <clears throat> he needed an ally. He needed a companion. He needed someone to come along with him. And I think the word is even used of the Lord. And I could be wrong, but I think um, like, for instance, you do see, uh, in Psalm 121, I have to go back and see if the verb is the same as the noun here, but um, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. And it's not like the Lord is coming along to be our our assistant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's And so here I think we just want to be very careful because I know that some views of marriage can so... Uh, denigrate women yeah. as create mm-hmm. as as yeah. somehow inferior in and um uh in, in either in role or in um mm-hmm. in the way they were created themselves they become inferior right. Right. um and that's not what we're saying here right. and and actually the woman 
is the best ally that the man could ever look for. They were meant to be helpers together, to work for, you know, to work together. Now, of course, there is an order as we're going to get to. There is an order, but that order doesn't negate the fact that the man needs the woman as his ally and companion yeah. to, to, to walk together life with. Yeah. Um, they are a match <laughs> together. Right. This yeah. is a match made from heaven, yeah. right? And so um, they're, uh, they, they are corresponding to each other. They, they, they're... It's been one of the most common requests I've gotten doing weddings is can we omit the word submit? But it comes from a misunderstanding of mm-hmm. what you're talking about, which I think we're going to get into here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's sad because it's really hard to even talk them through that. Mm-hmm. And it's normally because of what they've witnessed, what they've experienced, um, mm-hmm. things of that nature, uh, which, which is sad because of the beauty in it of, like you said, of being allies, of not being, I'm not better than my wife. I'm not in any way superior to my wife right. in any shape or form. In fact, I mean, in fact, I think a lot of us would say there's been times, many marriages where we would say she's much more superior than him. If you really want to look at it, mm-hmm. if you're talking about right. worldly standards, mm-hmm. um, but it's just been, that's been uh, perverted. Yeah. That in, yeah. uh, I mean, and it's, and it's sad that it happens, but yeah. because of sin that has been perverted, men have taken advantage of that. Women have taken mm-hmm. advantage of that. And, uh, I, that's one of the biggest things, at least for me, when it comes to right. counseling and stuff, is trying to talk through mm-hmm. what that looks like. It's mm-hmm. difficult. I mean, even if they don't bring it up, when if you're trying to be a good pastor to talk about what the Bible says about marriage, they haven't even brought it up, but you do. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you guys, but I feel awkward every time I do because I almost know for certain I'm going to be stepping on somebody's toes mm-hmm. because they've seen bad examples mm-hmm. yeah. of how the Bible can be twisted and used yeah. in a marriage in a negative way. Can I ask how many premarital counseling things have you guys done? Three. You've done three. You've done zero, Spencer. Zero. Matt's done zero. Two. Two. You've done two. Two couples. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was just wondering. Yeah. I don't know how many I've done. Yeah. So. Me. <laughs> yeah, I've done. <laughs> Matt, you're a product. Yeah. So the way. That kind of leads into the next a really important passage as it relates to marriage here in Genesis for us. Like we're sitting here talking about this is the way God created marriage. And it's important to note this is all happening before Genesis 3. This is all before sin enters the world. Mm-hmm. And sin has a profound effect on marriage, on how the man and the woman relate to each other. And so Satan comes into the garden, tempts Eve Eve falls to temptation, gives the fruit to her husband. He falls to temptation as well. They both break the one command they're given by God to not break, and they do. And because of that, this is where I think actually like verse 25 of chapter 2 is kind of juxtaposed against what happens in chapter 3. In verse 25, it points out the perfection of God's creation Mm -hmm. when it says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Uh, There's a lot of people that joke about that like on wedding days and stuff like that, but that goes to show that people you never heard that no 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 <laughs> oh come on no. it's just, it's just in your circle it's just, just in my it must circle, be kentucky i, I don't know that's kind of weird you guys don't have any fun but, uh, but but what that's pointing out is there was no shame there was no guilt in the world 
they were able to be completely who they were in front of each other with absolutely no reservations and, and things like that in, in the whole world. But what happens in Genesis 3, after they sin, the very first thing they do, they hide and cover themselves. Shame enters the world. And then God, in speaking to the man and the woman, pronouncing curses on them, I'll read these uh, verses for us. He gives a curse to to Satan, first of all, and then in verse 16, God specifically speaks to the woman. And he says, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And then to Adam, he says, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. Mm. We really see a lot of how their relationship is impacted in the curse God pronounces on the woman. In verse 16, he says, I will multiply your pain in childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. How does that impact the marriage relationship, the, the purpose, what we see as being part of the purpose of marriage? I mean, part of it was a multiply. Yeah. And so we see that coming out there. But then later in what you read, I mean, then it, it speaks to her relationship with her with her husband, right? Your desire will be towards your husband, but he shall rule over, rule over you. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so we see this playing out. Uh, we see this starting, what we've been talking about before. That's get that's so confused in our world today, uh, being being discussed right there. And then when it comes to Adam, doesn't really say much about necessarily his relationship to his wife, but it's his relationship to his work. Mm-hmm. And to his providing mm-hmm. for his family, and how difficult that is going to be now. It's not going to be an easy thing. Yeah. But it seems like that's then the role of the man, mm-hmm. right? And I yeah, know God, it, God put Adam mm-hmm. in the garden to, to work, work it and to keep it. Mm-hmm. And Before now, his created the purpose for which he was created has been corrupted, and his job is now difficult. <clears throat> Eve created as the helper fit for Adam to help him carry out his duties mm-hmm. as what God has given him. There's now enmity almost between the husband and yeah. the wife. Right. So her created purpose has also been made much more difficult. Yeah. Because there's now enmity mm-hmm. in their relationship. And we feel that curse. I mean, to this day, for sure, in our marriages, I I would say, if we're honest, to where there's this battle, you know, of whose tasks is whose, and being frustrated over those tasks and how yeah. to do these different tasks, and hmm. it's it's a fight secularly, <clears throat> and maybe. Maybe in our marriage, maybe you know, Christian couples don't let it become a huge fight, but you definitely still feel that. Mm-hmm. You know, you feel that struggle, friction. Yeah, there's just this friction there that you can't avoid. And mm-hmm. No matter how smooth things are going, right. how well thing is, there's just a friction there, and mm-hmm. it's it goes all the way back to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. What he says there towards the end of verse sixteen: "Your desire shall be for your husband." What do you guys think that means? Like, how, how is this a curse? Your desire shall be your, for your husband, and he shall rule over you. It's interesting because the ESV translated, your desire shall be contrary to your mm-hmm. husband. Hmm. And so I'd have to 
I guess I would have to do a word study. Yeah, there. that was a controversial change. Yeah, by the way, right. That was I a, mean, it used to. Yeah, improve. mine. My ES, I'm using the ESV as well, and actually doesn't say that. Yeah, the previous editions did not say that. It was mm-hmm. later editions, which I think I've got a newer one yeah. that yeah. did change that, and so that was actually quite a controversy. What does it say again? Contrary. It says your desire shall be contrary to, and it gives a footnote yeah. as being or shall be toward in yours or for. Mm-hmm. So it it starts to. Uh, take it one angle now in the interpretation mm-hmm. instead of leaving it vague mm-hmm. for both interpretations. That mm-hmm. was actually a, a big deal, I remember, whenever that came out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I'm very hesitant, honestly, to talk a lot about uh, verse 16 um, because I would want to do study. And I, I know that sounds like a cop-out, but because knowing that, and I've not done a ton of study on this verse, mm-hmm. honestly. So um, I definitely think we get the picture that it, it sin, sin always... Mm-hmm creates friction and deteriorates the original intention Mm -hmm. of marriage um, to where once they were allies and now now the allies where they used to be united together are now separated apart now because of satan Um, they're not together anymore they're not on the same page anymore and that's always a battle in marriage is being on the same page um, and I would, uh, and I, I think uh, that that's the general gist of what you're seeing. What they were originally called to do, which was to uh, be God's representatives on the earth together, mm-hmm. to to have a gracious dominion over creation and be multiplied. Instead of instead of multiplying themselves, now their pain is multiplied, mm-hmm. and so that's what happens um, happens. Uh, so there's this. There's complications. That so in Genesis arise. chapter 4, mm-hmm. verse 7, mm-hmm. we see the same wording, okay? And it says this. It says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. You must rule over it. Or the other reading would be, its desire is towards you. Sure. So it's the same kind of thing. And so... Um, MacArthur points this out. I got to study Bible, so it's easy to glimpse at. But he's saying, what MacArthur is saying there is that the woman's desire actually is to rule over her husband. Yes. You're going to want to rule him. Yep. And but he's going to rule over you. Yeah. Right. I'm going. God's saying this is how it's going to be. He will rule over you, but you're going to want to rule him. Right. Just like sin wants to rule over you. Yep. But you have to fight that. You yep. have to rule over. Yeah. yeah. Over Wrapped the sin. up. So in there, that word desire is. A desire to dominate, yeah. Mm-hmm. A desire to be in charge mm-hmm. in that sense, and that's that friction you guys were talking about. Yeah, that's that. That's that friction, and we see this played played out completely, right? I mean, I'm not saying in your marriage or my marriage, but like well, just in society. We do. Yeah, I mean, we feel it, but I'm saying we are we see this yes. played out right um, over and over and over mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's hard to deny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, yep. and not just. I think we got to be careful here because I don't want some of uh, some ladies that are listening to this podcast. You know, all of our moms out there, maybe, but uh, I don't want the, all the ladies to think like, oh, like you're just saying that I want to dominate, I want to desire. It also says, and he shall rule over you. Mm-hmm. The idea that a that part of this curse is that men will have this sense of ruling and ownership mm-hmm. and yeah. heavy handedness yeah. domineering domineering yeah, right. towards their wives that's just as much part yeah. of this mm-hmm. curse right. and creates this friction mm-hmm. as well and so ladies we're not just saying this no. is your curse no. i'm yeah. yet to find a sin that is just to the male gender or mm-hmm. just to the female gender mm-hmm. <laughs> the those sins 
take over all mm. of us. Mm. Yeah. We all struggle with those sins. So, yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I think in our discussion, we've kind of already answered a lot of what my next question is. We've been talking about what is the origins of marriage? Where did it come from? How does sin affect it? We've kind of already answered the question of, well, what is the purpose of marriage? We've mentioned the fact that it's not good for man to be alone. There's an idea of companionship there. We've been given a command to be fruitful and multiply. The part of the purpose of marriage is to procreate and to, uh, to have a family in that sense. Uh, but then you also have, we've mentioned, uh, we've mentioned 1 Corinthians 7 in the sense of singleness, but it is also given, uh, marriage is one of the things that helps protect against sin. And I was curious about this because that, that kind of struck me at first, but actually most confessions of faith that I mm-hmm. came across include that as a purpose for marriage. Mm-hmm. God actually gave us marriage as one of the things that we can use to protect against sexual sin. Mm-hmm. And that's First Corinthians 7, verses 8 through 9. Yeah, but good. then there's also something we haven't yet talked about that is starting to get into what is the order of marriage. And that's Ephesians chapter 5, 32 through 33, in that part of the purpose of marriage. 22 to 33. Huh? It's 22 to 33. Yeah, there's a bigger section there. Yeah, there is a bigger section. I I. Yo, you shrunk it down. I shrunk it down a little bit. We can talk about the whole thing, but yeah, yeah. you guys are just, you're just wanting <laughs> to open your Bibles today and just bless my heart. Um, but uh, so if they're in Ephesians 5, it gives one of the bigger purposes of marriage, kind of the ultimate purpose of mm-hmm. marriage is to be an example, to reveal this mystery that God has kept hidden for ages. And what what is that mystery? Let's try to elaborate on on what marriage is supposed to be demonstrating. So I try to say this at every marriage ceremony that I do, and I try not to really change it. I mean, I don't have it written down, so I guess it might come out come out different each time. But when I'm doing the exchange of the rings, before we do that, trying to, you know, put a little charge on the husband and the wife and mm-hmm. to say... This is your role as a husband. You are to love your wife as Christ loved the church, mm-hmm. gave her his life for her. That's what Christ did for the church, gave his life for her. You need to love your wife the same way. You give your life for her, and you love her sacrificially. And that means even with nothing expected in return, you love her in a way that's not selfish, which is extremely difficult. It, I don't know if I've ever went a day doing that, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, because, again, we usually make the columns. I've done something good for you. You're going to do something good for me. Yep. And it's hard to get that out of our minds. But as a husband, that is your job, according to Ephesians 5, 22, uh, and so on there. And then, wives, you are to submit to your husband, to to love him. And it's interesting because, again, people get scared of that word submit. But if you go to verse 21 Mm -hmm. of chapter 5, it tells us as Christians to all submit to each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I'm submitting to Spencer. Spencer's submitting to me. We're all submitting to each other. It doesn't mean that today I'll submit to Spencer and so he's better than me today, tomorrow. we'll flip. No, we're always doing this. So wives, you are to submit to your husband. Not that you're a lower status, but you're to love him well as he sacrificially loves you. You know this, and you trust him in that, and you submit to him in that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you treat him as if he's living sacrificially to love you. Yeah. And as you do this, as you both do this, you are giving the world a picture of what the gospel is, of mm-hmm. what Christ has done for us and how we submit to Christ because of his love for us and what he's done. So as we submit to Christ, we're not submitting to him, 
uh, in a way of not even of not being assured that he loves us. You know, it's not like a wish. It's not like, man, no, mm-hmm. we we know what he has done for us and we believe it and mm-hmm. we give our life to it. Mm-hmm. Same way with wives and husbands. Mm-hmm. I know what my husband is doing for me. I love him because of this and I will submit to him and love him and care for him because of this sacrificial love that it, he has done. And it's important, like you referenced verse 21 there, it, it doesn't just say submit to one another, it says submit to one another out of reverence, reverence for Christ. Christ. Mm-hmm. The idea of a wife submitting to her husband and a husband fulfilling his role to his wife is not even first and foremost mm-hmm. for treating the other person that way. And a wife's submission to her husband is not out of reverence to her husband. Mm-hmm. It's out of reverence to Christ. Christ. Mm-hmm. That's right. You know, and the yeah. same thing for a husband fulfilling mm-hmm. his role. It's yeah. out of his reverence for Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so what the doing. Bible promises there is if you, husband and wife, like if you're cemented in the faith and you're loving each other this way, the amazing thing is that God is going to use that for his gospel purposes. Mm-hmm. So you talk about evangelism, you talk about witnessing. This is a way to evangelize. This is a way to witness. And to be honest, right. it's getting more and more countercultural and more and more noticed as we do it, whether good or bad, whether they say this is a good thing or a bad thing, it is getting noticed and it gives more of an opportunity to share the goodness of God. And when it's done well, the husband is lifted up, the wife is nourished and lifted up, Mm -hmm. and it's a beautiful picture. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, like we already talked about, I struggle to love my wife sacrificially even in a day, Mm -hmm. let alone for the length of our marriage. She struggles right to love me how she should and submit to me and it's because of it's because of sin in our lives it's because of the toil of the work right it's it's become difficult it's become hard and so it is a battle it really is a battle every day and a lot of people go into marriage with this picture a little too rosy i think um but it's you know when jesus did what he did for us it wasn't a rosy picture it was it was a battle that he fought mm. and he got to where he said it's it's finished it's over mm. right he conquered that and uh, for us in our marriage it's not a battle that we will finish it's a battle that we must sustain to the mm. end faithfully and we keep doing this together and so uh, when you talk about like divorce and difficulties in marriage i think it's just like urging people keep pressing on for the lord don't give up persevere persevere to the end you know the saints of god will persevere to the end the scripture has promises that you almost say that same thing to married couples Mm -hmm. persevere Mm -hmm. i mean it's beautiful to see the couple who's been married for 50 years holding hands in the restaurant and Mm -hmm. whatever but it wasn't like that for 50 years i can guarantee they fought they've clawed they've done everything they can they've forgiven each other they've done all these things to get to that you know to get to up to where they're at right now and that, that's almost what you try to tell people, I think, in premarital counseling is there is no out here. Mm-hmm. That's not an option. So this is a big commitment, and you're going to fight for it until, until the end. I think that's a really good picture of our salvation and the gospel and the perseverance that, we're, that we are called to. Right? There's no out for Christ's saints. He has us whole. He has us as his, but it doesn't mean that we don't persevere right, in all this work that must be done. Yeah. Same in my marriages. Yeah, I, would, I want to add some stuff there too. Like I agree with everything that you said. Um, but Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So the wives don't just submit to their husbands. They're also submitting to Christ. And I also want to say this. It, keep, 
keep going in Ephesians 5 here, verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife. And then here's the analogy, even as Christ is the head of the church. So if husbands are loving their wives as Christ loved the church, then he is going to be sanctifying her and cleansing her and washing her um, with the word. So if, if wives are submitting to their husbands and their husbands are submitting to Christ, then the wives are actually submitting to Christ through their husband. Does that make sense? Mm, I would need you to explain that more. I think. So if, if husbands are submitting to Christ, then wives submitting to their husbands are submitting to Christ. So as a wife submits to her husband, you're saying she is submitting to Christ? Yes. Well, I mean, I think the husband is submitting to Christ. Well, I would say even if he's not. I mean, if you are just being a faithful wife, same with an employer-employee situation. If I'm being faithful to my my employer as an employee, even if he's not a godly person, I'm still, why am I doing that? I'm doing that to honor Christ and to honor the Lord here in this situation. I would say, because we have a, you know, there's a lot of women married to Mm non-Christian men. Mm -hmm. And uh, we would maybe tell them, you made a mistake back then, but don't go divorcing. Don't you know? No, be, yeah, be faithful right. to him, and and they might appeal to this and say, "Yeah, but he's not sanctifying me in God's word. He's not doing these things. So how, if I can, if it can only be done through my husband, and it's not going to be, therefore, are you saying I cannot be sanctified in Christ because my husband's not the one doing it? That'd be a question I think that we'd have to be able to answer. Yeah, right. So sure. what I'm sure what Matt's not saying is that right. the husband is somehow a new intermediary between no, the wife no. and God. No, right. No, no, no. What you're saying is 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 this is well pleasing in God's yeah. sight. Yes. Yeah. And I think I think th- th- what this does though is we tie it back to the whole epistle that Paul's writing here in in Ephesians, and you go back um, the last part of chapter four. Paul is saying here, in light of God's grace to us in Jesus Christ, in light of what he's done for us, verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In light of what Christ has done, therefore, Mm -hmm. this is how you can live out of gratitude for grace received. And your marriage now is not a place for you to try to earn points with God anymore. It's now a gift that God's given to you in order to love your neighbor through your calling. So as a wife, as a husband, as an employee, or as a servant, as a parent. Um, and so I think this is, it's, it's important to put it within the context. This, I, this is one of the things I love about Paul. Again, right? If you want to know, okay, so um, how should I, what should my marriage look like if I'm a Christian? Well, what did Jesus do? Go back to the cross. The cross changes everything. It changes the way I parent. It changes the way I love my spouse. It changes the way that I go to work. And so that's what Paul is getting at. We're to be imitators of God now as beloved children. So in my marriage now, it's not about works anymore. Mm -hmm. It's about me seeking the welfare of my spouse. Why? Because God's already taken care of my salvation. So now I'm free to love my, my wife. Another thing that's very important is wives submit to your own husbands. Because mm-hmm. one of the errors, and this is uh, 
going to tie into some of those misunderstandings. One of the misunderstandings that I have heard is that it can be conveyed that all women are to be submissive to all men yeah. in society at large yeah. and in the church and in all those things. That is not what Paul is saying, and that's not what we're saying. Right. We're saying if marriage involves one man and one woman, that woman is only called to do this, verse 22, <clears throat> to one man in the right. world. Yep. Right. And um, so my wife, whenever she comes to church, is not submissive to everybody else in the mm-hmm. pew. That's a man. Yeah. Um, that's not the way this works. This is strictly within this mm-hmm. thing. Husbands, love your wives. <laughs> I'm supposed to only love her that way. Mm-hmm. This is a special relationship. I think that's very important because our wives are people outside of marriage, and my wife is a person in Christ outside of me. And I think that that's important for us to remind all women and all men that they have a dignity in Christ outside of marriage. There, you are who you are in him, mm-hmm. and you're solidified in him by grace. Your calling and your vocation as a husband and as a wife is now one way that you can serve others outside of you. Um, but I think it's so important for women in particular, because I know this issue can get, can get messy because you hear that. And sometimes women can feel denigrated simply because of their sex. And that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches they're made in the image of God just as much as all males are. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this specific relationship of one man and one woman, um, there is a, there is, there are certain roles that do take place. And I think that's just an important thing to highlight. Yeah. The short phrase with that is that we would say that men and women are equal in value, different in role. Mm -hmm. Both men and women, it says back in Genesis, we didn't specifically look at this, but said they are both created in, it says in the image of God, he created them. Sure. They are, it's not that the man was created in the image of God, but not woman. She was created in the image of God too, but God has assigned specific roles to men and women for the ultimate purpose that we've seen here in Ephesians to demonstrate what Christ's relationship to the church is and what the church's relationship to Christ is. The way I try to talk about that, to maybe diffuse any kind of bad examples and bad instances that that, uh, that this couple has seen, is what wife doesn't want to walk and to serve and to help a man that she knows loves her and is regularly sacrificing for her betterment and for her good? constantly you know uh, i think if if you describe that kind of man to a woman and say would you be happy following the leadership of that kind of man the answer is almost always yes if you ask a man if you had a woman who loved you unconditionally respected you was willing to be your main cheerleader so to speak your main support in this world would you i mean would you be willing to be to sacrifice of yourself for a woman that was like that with you? Mm. The answer is almost always yes. Mm. And so the, I mean, we live in a world tainted by sin. That's a big rosy picture that almost never happens perfectly. But that's the kind of picture you're given here is a man that's living sacrificially for his wife and a, and a wife mm. that is living in support and helping her mm. husband carry out his his right. task that he has. I don't, I don't want to get too edgy here, but I do think it's it's ironic that whenever um, talking about the submission headship things, at least that I'm aware of, I could be wrong, but I'm just looking right here in the text in Ephesians 5. It's fascinating that 
wives submit, Paul does not say in verse 25, husbands, lead your wives. Mm-hmm. It's funny because uh, he says, love your wives, mm-hmm. wash them, serve them. And again, even in, in, uh, in First Peter, he says, wives, you are to be subject to your own husbands. Again, notice the own husbands thing. Then in verse 7, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that while, while husbands are called to, to lead the family, it's kind of ironic at the same time that God uses language. He doesn't say explicitly lead. He says, love, seek what is in the best interest of another person. Um, Jesus Christ shows us the best example of this. Whenever that last supper night, he shows us what his whole ministry was about when he takes off the good clothes, puts on the clothes of a servant and washes the feet of all the disciples. That's actually probably more akin to what the husband is to do. And by doing that, he is being the, mm-hmm. Jesus said, right, the, the servant is the greatest. Mm-hmm. And so the husband is to go above and beyond showing himself to be the most Christ-like as, much, as the wife is too. Mm-hmm. We're both actually, in, in the real sense, both husband and wife as allies are seeking to be like Christ. Mm-hmm. And if we were both humble and pursuing humility in Christ, much of these controversies, it wouldn't be a power struggle right? because it's not about power. Mm-hmm. Right. It's about love mm-hmm. and receiving grace yeah. and gratitude and thankfulness. Because yeah. when we look at this in Ephesians, you can definitely push it too far. Yeah. Because I know that we're being, you know, like it says, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Okay. Well, then some men will start to say, I'm your savior. You right. can't be the savior. And it even says that, right? Because mm-hmm. it says of the church, his body and is himself its savior. That's a role I cannot do for my wife. Right. We see that everywhere throughout Scripture. But then a little later, you know, it's, when it's talking about husbands to love your wives, right, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So this is how Christ loves the church. Mm-hmm. Sanctifies her, presents her in this way. I cannot do that for my wife. I cannot mm-hmm. cleanse her. Right. I cannot wash her. Right. I cannot sanctify her. I cannot do these things. It's impossible. So it says, so how then am I supposed to do this as a husband? It says, love her as you would yourself. Mm. Verse two of chapter five, walk in love as Christ loves yes. us. Yeah. Right. And so that's the, if I'm going to love her like I love myself, I am going to share the word with her. Why? Because if I love myself, I'm going to read the word. Because that's going to help, right? It's going to sanctify right. me. That's going to help me to grow. So I'm going to, I'm going to share the word with her as well. If she's going to love me and honor me, though, I would hope she's doing the same to me. Mm-hmm. She's sharing the word to me. She's helping. She's helping me. She's guiding mm-hmm. me. And so this idea that it's my job as the husband to be the only one in the house who shares the word and gives the word because I'm like Christ. None of you are. Mm. I think we have to be careful with that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because we can't be Christ. Just like us as pastors, who's the head worship leader? Jesus is, yep. not me. Yep. But I am standing here in this position now to lead. Sure. And it's a very difficult sure. thing to do. Yeah. Sure. Right. And so we just have to be careful with our language because it can lead to some disastrous things where it does mm. become a dictatorship. It becomes a thing. I've, you know, even in the church where it's like, yeah, I've, 
you know, where husbands are like, pastor, you, you can't say that to my wife. I'm, I'm her <laughs> spiritual authority. You know, you, like that type know, of mentality. Know, and it's like, okay. I mean, I, I don't think that's true. <laughs> right. Think, um, it's dangerous ground, but you see it. Right. I know. And, and the walk in love command is given to everybody. Everyone. Mm-hmm. Everybody. Yeah. That command about speaking the truth of God to each other is given to man and woman mm-hmm. in the church. And, and yeah, I mean, what husband doesn't want his wife to speak the gospel to him? Mm-hmm. Now, I know myself, I've had moments where I've cried and I've needed my wife to speak the gospel to me and remind me of the truth, just as she's needed me to do that to her. Mm-hmm. We're allies. Mm-hmm. And I think if um, well, the, the gospel teaches us that it's not about power. It's not about me trying to find a way to manipulate you to do my will. It's about us doing what Christ wants us to do in love for each other. Um, and I think that, uh, that, that that's just, um, if, we, if we view marriage that way, then the roles kind of take care of themselves in some ways. And I think another, th- another, another thing too is, is I know some people will draw strict lines like this is a husband's thing, this is a wife's thing. There are certain things that are like that. Mm-hmm. But there's also a lot of things, you know, like for instance, finances. Um, some marriages, the wife may be better at just practically doing those things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we just like, that shouldn't be something where a man feels guilty. Yeah. Like we definitely need to work together and there is a response. There is a, a leadership headship role and a following thing, but there's something what you're talking about, Spencer, I think there's, this is where something that I was listening to in preparation for this, that John Piper said that I thought was really helpful when he was talking about, well, what then is the role of the husband? Mm. Because there, is, there are instances where simply the wife, she makes more money at her job than the husband sure. does. Or she's better at dealing with finances. Or she might even be more. I know couples where the wife is more handy than the husband is. That would be my marriage. I, I wasn't thinking of you, but <laughs> you were, I'm like, but he says this is what he says. He he get, he says that it is a sense of benevolent responsibility. He gave the example of like, well, what if a husband is paralyzed? What what if he has some disability that right. makes him unable to actually go to work? True. Well, that doesn't mean that it's no longer the husband's responsibility to to lead his home in a loving way. Uh, that doesn't mean that, oh, well, that means the roles in this marriage are reversed and he is the one living in submission in that sense. It's no, it's like he, he is still able to initiate conversations. He is still the one that is able to teach spiritually. Mm. He is still able to ensure, even if his wife is the one helping him, mm-hmm. keyword helping, carry out these actions in a different way because she's more gifted at it or she's more physically capable of doing it. It's his, still his responsibility to take up ownership and making sure those things are happening. Mm-hmm. So just two statements uh, on, because I want to try to get a little practical then of like, well, what does it look like in a marriage then for a husband to lead with love? What does it look like in a marriage for a wife to respectfully submit? But uh, two statements in the idea of headship. The, this passage says that the husband is the head of his wife. Headship is the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. And then towards wives, it says, submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. Uh, Those are just two statements. John Piper uh, gave those. I think those are helpful uh, in the idea of, so 
let's think of some positive and nev- negative examples of what then does good Christ honoring husbandly headship look like in a family? Well, um, I guess so. One thing it does is that as a husband, um, you're to take the initiative and uh, you should be motivated to take the initiative in spiritual matters in your family, I think. Not, again, because you want to be the person with the last word, but because you want to see your wife and your children and whoever else is in your household, you want to see them grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's out of love for the good of them. So it's a, it's a, a calling to, uh, first of all, I think the husband should see it as his role to, to try to, if he can, to promote, um, the training in the scriptures, training in the truths of the Christian faith, the basics of those. Um, none of us are going to be perfect in that, but you do have a responsibility as a husband, as a father, to train your children and to uh, speak the truth of the gospel and of God's word. Um, in, in your family life, you have a responsibility as the husband to um, provide for their physical needs and uh, as not only their spiritual needs, but their physical needs to, um, if at all possible, and of course, these are general things, um, uh, there's always different circumstances, but it is, uh, generally speaking, the, the husband's role to, um, to be there to, uh, provide to, that his, his children have clothing and food and shelter, um, things like that. I think those are two basic things to, the idea of providing, of caring, of, uh, of, of doing those things for your, for your wife's and for your wife. Excuse me, your wife and for your children, your family, I think are are two basic things. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there's tons of other things we could think about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the the idea of making sure if you see a problem going on in your wife's life, if you see that she's struggling, she's discouraged, it's your job then as loving her, being self-sacrificing for her to initiate the conversation of, can you tell me what's wrong? What what can I do to help here? What can I do uh, to serve you mm-hmm. in this? It's not the sense of, uh, oh, you have a problem, figure it out. Mm. It's, no, I have a genuine concern for what's going on in my family. The idea, I think a lot of what many people might get hung up on, the idea of providing is that, well, that means that I have to be the breadwinner. Mm. That means that I have to make the most money. I ha- That's what it means to provide for my family. That's where I think the language of a sense of benevolent responsibility, mm-hmm. it's mainly that you feel the weight of the responsibility to make sure this is happening. It doesn't mean you're the one doing it. Mm. It means that you are the one that is looking out for the interests of your family and fighting for those. Mm. Uh, and when somebody has to fall on the sword, it's you. Mm. Um, you know, When there's somebody that has to sacrifice, when there's somebody that has to uh, do that, you at least you might not be the one that ends up doing it, but you at least volunteer, mm-hmm. you know, to do it sure. to help your family. Um, what about some negative examples of headship? You know, we've we've talked a lot about like how we've seen this may be abused or uh, used in the wrong way, and so uh, what uh, what have we seen? What are some things that you guys can think of uh, to see this in a negative light? Like individual people, you want us to call them out? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I mean, I think you see it uh, even in like our realm of what we would believe is a, the Bible speaks of marriage in a comp- complementarian way. You can see where 
sometimes like we talked about earlier, men will take that too far. Um, mm. and I think women take it too far too, uh, mm. to where they have their husband try to make all the decisions all the time, like in mm. everything, uh, and like push that on him. Or sometimes men will take that and that's what it means to lead mm. or like you said, provide. And so that means wife, you're not allowed out of the home. And all you can do is have kids and raise our kids, and that's it. And there's really no life outside of that. No, no hobbies even at times. Like this is this is your focus, and um, and so you be you see that those words I, to me being twisted and perverted. Um, but in the name of scripture, they would say, "This is what we're going to do," and it becomes really kind of abusive. I've seen it even with like you can see it with raising kids, treating. Mm treating boys differently than you treat girls maybe with more worth than you mm. than you would your daughters uh, mm. and so it's just like a lot of things in scripture that God intends for good things that God intends for good and there's good purposes we use it wrong I mean with every topic that we're going to talk about in this series that mm. you that you mentioned money sex kids family communication, good things that God mm. has given us, but that are so easily to pervert and to twist. Mm. And so, I mean, the examples without giving like specific, specific examples, mm. I, I hope that helps some. Mm. Yeah. I think too, one of the things that's interesting is on the one hand, you can have uh, abuses in, in different ways. It's, uh, there can be instances where the husband is really domineering and really um, the poor wife can just, uh, <laughs> Her worth is yeah. is found only in giving birth to kids. Yeah, making dinner. That's all she is, yeah. um, and that can be bad. On the other hand, one of the ironic things that I have seen somewhat is that some, particularly couples, and and sometimes it may be even more the wife that will promote this doctrine that well, you know, my husband's the head of the home. In some ways, in an ironic way, I found sometimes those marriages can be very female dominated (laughs) because in some ways it can actually, it's not actually necessarily a true ally uh, relationship. It's actually the other way. And sometimes that can give cover for uh, the other side, the, 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 the the wife to perhaps lead in uh, more ways than she should. Um, and it becomes her, she dominates the marriage, mm-hmm. and I've seen that, and it's kind of I don't I don't know how to dis, what how to uh, what to think about that, but I've seen it happen both ways. In some ways, I, I'm going to use this phrase, but this may be not the best phrase, but it's almost like it gives them cover to for what they want to do. But it sounds good because it's underneath the husband's authority, yeah. theoretically speaking. But I think the other way that can be done, yeah, is where the husband just abdicates. Yes, that's um, what I was going to say. And and I think the what what happens though is. Um, Again, right? It doesn't, the key is, is you're not actually loving people. You're not actually actively seeking the welfare of other people. Yeah. What this, what headship means in loving leadership in the home is, I think sometimes, and the wife being a helper yeah. and sub, in, in submission to her wife, I think what I've seen a lot of times is, is, I don't think a man would ever say this, but what I've practically seen them do is, oh, that means that, if there's something I don't like doing mm. or something I'm not good at doing, that means I have my wife do it for me. Right. <laughs> and that is not what that means. Right, right, right. right. Um, it's, it's, not that, uh, it's not that you give all these unwanted tasks, difficult tasks, sure. 
to your wife to take care of, mm-hmm. uh, and you simply abdicate responsibility. Or I've seen so many instances of wives that they desperately want the input of their husbands, mm. yet he does not want to be bothered with this. He doesn't want to think about it, and uh, and leaves his wife to make all the decisions, to take all the action, to do everything that's needed to be mm. done. And she struggles mm. and she, she's constantly worried about making the wrong decisions. She's constantly feels this weight and this pressure because it's all being put on her. Mm. And that's in a sense, like he is, he's ruling over his wife by putting all the difficult stuff on her mm. and he's not willing to take it on himself. Sometimes mm. what guys listen, sometimes what your wife wants is actually your input mm. and your help in making a decision. Mm. I know that, I mean, one of the worst things that I could do to Alicia is to not help her make a decision mm. is sometimes like there's things that she honestly just wants my help in making a decision of what to do or what not to do. Mm. Uh, but sometimes that's what she wants the most mm. uh, is, is help mm. in doing that. And so men uh, there's, I guess we've talked about the two sides. There's the side that you put too much of your authority on the plate and demand that it is followed to a T or we do the other where we don't put any on there and we yeah. just abdicate all responsibility sure. and put sure. it on our wives and on our families. And so then that's the man's role. The woman's role uh, in marriage then is the idea of uh, supporting and helping her husband carry out the, these God-given tasks that he has given to a family. So how do we see that played out positively then uh, in a marriage where a wife is, is correctly submitting to her husband? Well, that's a, no, I mean, I think, um, this is again, why it's so important for the faith question to be at the very beginning, because it's going to be hard for you to submit to your husband's, uh, you know, for instance, if the husband is to take a lead in, uh, the spiritual nurture of the family, if you don't agree with the spiritual thing, you know, the, the truth of the gospel, then it's going to be really hard for you to submit to that aspect um, no, it's possible, of course, for a wife who's married to a non-Christian still to, to submit to her husband. Now, of course, she's not going to, um, submit to false teaching. She's never called to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but she is called to respect him, to, uh, to, uh, lovingly uh, follow him, um, not as a, in, in a, in a way in which she, she's, she's right there beside him. Um, and always ready to help him insofar as what she um, can do for him is is not sin, um, right? So we always put that caveat there because I know that some wives can feel burdened by this as if all of a sudden I've got to say everything my husband does is okay. And that's not what we're saying. And that's not what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. Um, husbands do make mistakes, a lot of mistakes, even Christian husbands. But it does mean that, that the husband knows that, that, that you're there to follow him and you're not there to... Um, <sighs> You're not there to be uh, to domineering and to try to to uh, to uh, take over the husband's role. I guess. What are you, what are you thinking, guys? As as well as you think about this, as good examples. <laughs> it's it's hard to for us to talk about. I think sometimes because when we're thinking about this, we're you know we're we're guys sitting at this sure. table, sure. and so it's kind of difficult to think through that. I think honestly, one of the best things a wife can do in submission and support of her husband is to give him her input is to give him her input mm-hmm. 
uh, to actually use the gifts that she has to help him, uh, whatever uh, that task is in, in the sense of, of mm. leading a family. He actually does need your input. Mm-hmm. Uh, he needs it giving in a respectful way, in a way that's not domineering. But that's one of the best things a wife can do. Mm. Uh, I think that's one of the best gifts I have in my wife is mm. that so many things in this world that I am blind to, she is actually very akin to. And mm-hmm. she she understands things sure. about this world that I don't and about right. people that I don't. Um, sure. And there's times where I need her input. Mm-hmm. You know, she... There's actually so many parts about what it means for me to be a pastor, a good pastor. My wife helps me be a good pastor. She keeps me from saying really stupid things. Mm. You know, she keeps me from doing really stupid things. This morning, uh, well, I shouldn't say that. I, would, I don't want to degrade this, but I mean, this is a silly example. This is not, uh, I'll give two examples, I guess. This morning, I was going to wear a pair of red shoes that didn't match anything else that wore that that I was wearing. Right. And my wife was like, "Scott, you look stupid." She didn't say that. <laughs> but that's what she was thinking. Are you sure you want to wear that? In a very loving, kind way, she said, "Those shoes don't match anything you're wearing." Uh and so I I went I got a different pair of shoes and I put them on. She's like, "Those look much better." <laughs> and we did that. But there's also been times where I have and on a more serious note, where my wife exhibits true wisdom and humility, where I have seen somebody, for instance, say on social media, say something, or I've I've had to preach a sermon even on a topic that's kind of touchy, and uh, I I I let my wife read it first, mm. and she's told me at times and said like, "You probably shouldn't say that." Mm. In my mind. I put what I put in this sermon because it is the word of God and it needs to be said. And she she said, actually, no, that does not need to be said right there. Mm. Or it at least needs to be said differently. Mm-hmm. In that moment, my wife has served me and helped me carry out my mm-hmm. God-given task and what, to do, and what I am to do. And if I were so arrogant as to not listen to the help of my wife in that moment, I would be a fool. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I think wives can do is help your husbands by giving him your mm-hmm. input. Give it in a good way, mm-hmm. in a helpful way. Um, and part of this situation is if your husband doesn't listen to your input, that's not on you. Mm-hmm. It's on him. Mm-hmm. He will answer to God for mm-hmm. listening to or not listening to his mm-hmm. wife if she's giving him good input, helpful input, I think. Mm-hmm. One, another word that Paul uses there right, is uh, respect. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. Um, so, I mean, that's a, and that's a key general word, but we often hear men in general want respect mm-hmm. from others, including mm-hmm. their wives. Um, mm-hmm. um, and another thing, though, that's interesting, though, is, is how general these descriptions actually are. Yeah. I mean, it's part of the brilliance of the Bible that it's so general. Um, so, uh, cause God is really about changing our hearts and our minds and not simply telling us it's, we don't, we're not like, um, we're not like the, the Muslims or like other religions where every single detail 
is told you exactly. Mm-hmm. God gives us general principles to apply to different cultural settings and different yeah. times and places and to different people. Yeah. Because every marriage is going to be different. Mm-hmm. Every, uh, every culture yeah. is going to be different. But these principles don't change. Yeah. I, and that's a good point. I think something that would be helpful maybe to a wife listening to this is she's wondering, okay, so what can I specifically do then? Think of this. I mean, what is it can, that you can do what is your, I'm trying to think of a better way to put this. Your general attitude towards your husband should be, I want my husband to succeed. Mm-hmm. How can I help him do that? Mm. I want him to succeed. How can I help him do mm-hmm. that? Now, we've already talked about the attitude of the husband should be, I want my wife to succeed, to, to succeed too. Right. Um, and so how can you help your husband succeed in things that we've already said, in teaching your family spiritual things? Mm-hmm. Uh, how can you help your husband succeed in uh, carrying out the the general worldly things that have to happen in a home uh, or maybe in his job or things like that? What can you do to help him succeed? There's also negative examples that we've I think we've talked a lot about uh, already of negative ways that we can see that women feel they need to submit to their husbands. It doesn't mean you allow your husband to dominate in an unhealthy way right? in that idea. I mean, there are instances where it is perfectly appropriate, I think, for a wife to approach her husband and say, honey, you're out of line. Mm-hmm. And what you or like, there's whether, no, no matter what it is, whether he's just being an outright jerk to other people, to his own kids, mm-hmm. or to her. Mm-hmm. Like there are times where she, she has perfectly every right to stand up mm-hmm. and say, you had no right to say that to me. Right. You had no right to talk right. to me like that, because you're you're. She's ultimately not in submission to her husband, but to Christ. Yeah. And if he is too, she's also part of the body of Christ, mm-hmm. and she has to speak to him at sometimes not just as a wife, but also as a sister in yeah. Christ. Yeah. A, gr- a great example of this in the Bible, where a wife was godly and had to do difficult things with her, is, is Abigail and a ball. Right. You talk about having a. Um, a rough marriage. Mm. She did. And yet it, some people would think that what she did was not submissive to her husband because she went behind her husband's back and brought food to David. Mm. When her husband said, no, we're not doing that. We're not giving David anything. And she actually was wise enough to realize her husband's an idiot. And so she needs to go and take care of stuff because if not, everybody's going to get killed. Mm-hmm. And then what does she do? Well, she waits till her husband's um, having a little bit of a party and basically speaks the, speaks some harsh truth to him and he yeah. dies. Yeah. My point in that is that being a submissive wife doesn't mean you're a doormat. Exactly. And, and so she goes about and she does some, she, she takes initiative herself and says, you know what, if he's, if he's not going to be smart, I'm going to do some stuff because she knows that all the other lives of everybody else is on the line here if she doesn't come and, mm-hmm. and try to do something to appease David. And David praises her. And she's regarded as a godly woman in the scriptures. Additionally, in Proverbs 31, I, I, I don't want to, this is specifically for about a wife, but it can apply to women in general. But you notice the wife, she's not a doormat. She's actually going out, she's involved in selling stuff. She's involved in buying real estate here. She goes out and she does all sorts of things. She's intelligent, smart, um, godly. Um, she's not, uh, as we typically think of in, in circles, she's not just barefoot and pregnant and at home with the kitchen stove with the kids. She's definitely raising children, 
But she's she's not just a, a one-dimensional um, caricature. She's actually wise and godly and smart, and her husband trusts her, mm-hmm. and um, and her husband trusts his heart to her. Yeah, what is it? It says in verse twenty-three, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. And the point of this last part, the the, the writer of Proverbs is telling young men, "Hey guys, if you want to be successful, you'll find a woman like this, mm-hmm. and she's not just someone who's going to go around and do whatever you think she should. She's a woman who's smart and who's savvy and." Um, and who's the, the really she's an idealized version here so there's no woman perfect like this that's what i was going to say is like women ladies i know i mean proverbs right. 31 studies like right. you should not come away no. from a passage like that and think oh that means i have to do all the i have to run a business at home right. i have to take care of the kids <laughs> right. i have to be involved in my community right. i have to do all these things right no and that's, that's not, not what it's saying that's not right? what it's saying <laughs> this is an idealized version but the point is is you want to find a good wife because if you find a good wife, she's going to, what does he say as well? She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. And her husband listens to her. Yeah. She's wise. She's like Abigail. And that's what you should want in a wife mm-hmm. is someone who's going to be right there with you, who's going to be honest with you, but also who's going to support you and want you to succeed. Mm-hmm. Whenever you've got that, um, yeah. that's awesome. And I think that's a, that's a better example for women to yeah. pursue. I think we need to start wrapping up here, but before I do, I think one more thing obviously needs to be said, maybe not so obvious because I need to say it is that another thing that submission does not mean is that it does not mean that wives tolerate abuse right. uh, in any, any sense, right. whether it be verbal spiritual domination in yes. a kind of bad sense, especially physical abuse um, submission in a Christian sense never means you are obligated to stay in a situation like mm-hmm. that. It never means you are obligated to have your children stay in a situation like that. Mm-hmm. That is not a question of submission anymore. Um, and so that's obviously not what that means. Right. I think there are there have been instances in the past where women have kept themselves in abusive situations they've kept their kids in abusive situations because they see that as part of their responsibility to mm. submit to their husbands and that is not what right. we're talking about the husband's about. authority is limited just Very like limited. we talked about earlier as pastors our limity our authority is limited by the scriptures i can't tell you anything than other what christ tells you through the yep. bible your husband's authority is limited yeah and your submission is limited in, the, in that way yep. so good all right well i think that wraps up our first discussion here it was really good i hope you enjoyed it at home um, as we've talked about marriage and faith this will be the first uh, in a series of, of topics that we're going to continue to uh, go through here on the uh, podcast we hope you've enjoyed it and we hope it's uh, prompted further discussion and uh, conversation for you um, at home and with uh, your other brothers and sisters in the Lord. Uh, We hope that uh, uh, to hear from you next time and we hope you join us next time on uh, Pastors of the Roundtable. Take care and God bless.